Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as former Miss Australia, <laughs> lol, jerk, radio and TV lady, loves dirty pop, hates details. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition of the Humans of Twitter list, Ash London. Hello. Willkommen. I don't know how to say thank you in German, so I'm just going to say I'm not even sure that I said that in German, but... (laughs) Whatever. Just go with it. something. (laughs) Ash, in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I always awkwardly introduce myself as Ashley, which is weird because no one calls me Ashley. I don't call myself Ashley, but it's just a weird thing you do when you meet somebody, if you know Mm -hmm. what I mean. But um, yes, generally I say, hi, I'm Ashley. And then I have an awkward minute of explaining that no one calls me Ashley, just call me Ash situation. And then everyone everyone expects that I become the, the extroverted uh, talker of the, of the bunch. But generally in a social setting, I'm the one that kind of sits back and sips on my wine and tries to listen. Surely someone calls you Ashley. My... Mm, not even my mum calls me Ashley. Uh, my best friend Ra calls me Ashley when I'm being an idiot and she's going, Ashley, like, <laughs> stop being so dramatic. But literally everyone else, I'm just Ash. Just Ash. Mm. What's your favourite takeaway food choice, Ash? Oh, 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 dear. You know me too well. After a year and a half working nights in radio, uh, I tend to have a lot of experience when it comes to takeaway food. I really love the low-carb burgers at Grilled. They make it with like almond flour and coconut flour, and then you don't feel as naughty for getting a burger, but nothing really beats Japanese ever, so I'm going to go with Japanese. Being someone that works in uh, night or it was working in nighttime radio, you would be quite the connoisseur in uh, fast food. <laughs> Unfortunately, I yes. Um, Angus, my, who's my co-host on Shazam Top 20 last year, thank God, is pretty healthy. We both try to be healthy, but when you're with someone that's unhealthy, they can often persuade you to eat shit. But um, we spurred each other on and we ate pretty well, so that was a good thing. And then he went vego towards the end of the year, which really helped us both make some healthy decisions. So... Yeah, at World Square in Sydney, where we broadcast out of, there was like, it was bad. It was either grilled or Mexican every night. So well, after the KGs piled on, we were both like, all right, we need to get our lives in order and <laughs> tried to eat a bit better or at least try and cook some food. But that's one of those things you say you'll do, but no one actually has the time to cook their own meals in advance. Only crazy people. World Square in Sydney is the home really of Osteria, yes. isn't it? So there's lots of people there that are quite probably keeping those two establishments and many others uh, in the black. <laughs> are you Seriously, you're absolutely right. They actually opened this new organic joint and being the Lebanese that I am, I was like, well, we work here. I'm going to go down and organize some sort of a special rate. So the day they opened, I walked yeah. down there and I explained it. I think we got 30% off, but so many people work at Osteria were going down that they get their food that they weren't making money off of it. So after about a month and a half, we got an email to say, I'm sorry, we can't do this discount anymore. Like we didn't realize that we'd be getting a thousand people a day asking for their 30% off. So I felt a bit bad about that, but hey, I gave it a red hot go. <laughs> red hot go indeed. What then, uh, you outing yourself as having Lebanese history. Yeah. 
do you make of the Habibs? Okay, here's the thing. Uh, I live with my uncle, who is Lebanese, and he's an absolute legend. Yeah, I'm yes. turning 30 and living with my auntie and uncle. What a legend. That's, hey, that's a step up from mum and dad. That shows the Lebanese in me. We were counting down the days till Habibs was on and everyone yes. else was like, what are you doing? So uh, it played and we laughed out loud for the whole thing. But then at the end of it, we both looked at each other and agreed that we don't think many non-lebs would get half of the jokes or find it as funny as we did. So as someone who's Lebanese and grown <laughs> up in Australia with kind of, you know, Lebanese culture, when he says, you know, go brush your teeth, you've got tum breath. Tum is like the garlic that you put on the chicken. No one else hmm. would know that. And that was my favourite joke of the whole show. So I enjoyed it, but I understand that I probably enjoyed it because of the way that I grew up. Do you think that given that this is the first real multicultural sitcom we've had in 15, 17 years? Yeah in Australia that not only was it time, but that because of that, because now Australia's very, you know, broad ethnic makeup, that this is opening up to a whole new audience that may not have ever seen Acropolis now. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is time. Absolutely. I mean, you've got people like Russell Peters who've got this whole, you know, cultural comedy thing happening and there are so many, I'm going to say wogs, I'm allowed to say wogs. There are so many wogs in Australia and everyone loves wog humour, but that's actually a really good point. You know, people my age and your age, we remember Acropolis now, but I think maybe younger audiences probably have no um, memory of that. And, you know, there was a time when Nick Giannopoulos was everywhere and everyone saw his live Mm -hmm. shows and and my uncle still sees wogs at work every time it's in town. (laughs) But I think it definitely is time and I think, you know, and you've got the family law as well, which is kind yes. of, you know, Asian culture, which is such a hilarious show and I absolutely love. I guess my hope would be that it would be maybe a, uh, that Habibs would be a little less slapsticky, but, you know, I can't hope for too much, let's be honest. And and I say first time in 17 years because you're right, you rightly point out there have been other things, for example, Houseos and, and Fat Peach yeah. and that sort of stuff, but I was talking commercial television, which tends to be super, super gun-shy around exactly. – comedy particularly sitcom yeah yeah yeah. well I enjoyed it I I, I did laugh if anything I the characters next door and all the talk of the Cronulla riot I thought was awkward and funny and I could laugh at it but I know that a lot of people maybe kind of found that a bit uncomfortable as well they should yeah as you mentioned that you and I might remember things like Acropolis now yeah um I can remember Kingswood Country no I don't know what that is I'm too young or maybe just not cool enough that's all right. We, you, you, if you want, go and Google this afterwards. But it, it, the, the the premise was a very sort of staid Australian workaday family, the Bullpits, B U L P I T T S, the Bullpit family, and their daughter fell in love with a wog. Uh oh. And dad didn't like, and that's all he bloody wogs. That's all he ever got out of him, basically. And you can see the tension rising. That'd be the case in my family if I fell in love with a wog. My mum would be like, "Oh God, no." Anything. <laughs> oh, yeah, nah. She's, she, the one bit of advice she gave me was, trust me, you want to, like, not have too much Lebanese in the jeans because the kid's just too hairy. <laughs> Might get one eyebrow. It's so much drama. Imagine having two sides of the family, Leb, two hearts. A mum Lebanese herself said, mate, the best thing you can do is stay away from Lebanese men. Cut those jeans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For the sake of your child and hair removal in the future. <laughs> Ash, how how do you get to be in the position you are now? I mean, are you doing what Year 11 Ash thought she'd be doing? You know what? I'm doing exactly what Year 11 Ash hoped she would be doing. Um, 
I've always knew that I wanted to work in the media and entertainment industry. Mm. I didn't know what that was going to look like. I studied, I did my um, communications degree at RMIT in media, majoring in film and television. And I thought I was going to be a writer. I thought, you know, it's probably, it's pretty crazy to think that I could be on TV or in film. Mm. So I know I can write. I know I'm a great storyteller. So this is how I'm going to kick it off. I'm going to start out as a writer. And then I finished my degree I moved to London at about 22 or 23 and I did my two years in London working as a um, the creative head of a digital startup, like an online social media thing, which was mm. so much fun. And London really was the place that I kind of found my groove and really started to back myself and realise that, um, yeah, I was young, but I could kind of do anything I wanted to do and I just kind of had to make it happen. So I came home after two years when my visa was up and, Um, moved into music media, working more in radio behind the scenes as a writer. Mm -hmm. And then I saw an ad one day for um, Channel 11 where uh, doing a new music show called The Loop. And I thought, I know music. I could do that. So I, um, at the time, was writing some radio shows for Osher Gunsberg. So I Mm. emailed him and said, mate, you know, we never met in person, but we obviously I helped him with a lot of his interviews and I wrote um, some of the shows that he did and he helped me so much. I said, I think I could do this. What do you think? And he wrote straight back and said, yeah, bloody hell, you can do this. Audition, go for it. So I did my audition tape and he took a look at it and gave it the tick of approval and I sent it off. And then, yeah, three months later, I moved to Sydney to start in my first TV gig. And, uh, yeah, that was five, shivers, five years ago. And it's been quite a crazy ride since then. But, um, yeah, I've done a lot and I've worked hard and there's been other times I haven't worked hard, but it's been an incredible ride and I'm finally, you know, turning 30 this year and feeling like I'm exactly where I need to be and and just so happy and so in love with my life, really. Let's not talk down this achievement either. That that audition that you spoke of wasn't just a, oh, hey, media people, we're looking for someone to do that. That was a nationwide publicised, we're looking for a new star. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a big deal. It was, it was, yeah, absolutely. A big deal. <laughs> but I don't know, I had this quiet, I don't want this to sound like I'm, you know, blowing my own trumpet. I just had this quiet knowledge that it was my job. Like, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you go for a job, like, and you send off your resume and you email it off. And sometimes you just have a feeling that that's your job. And I remember just feeling like that was my job, you know, and I didn't really know what I was doing and moving to Sydney would be scary, but I just had this quiet resolve within me that it was going to be okay. And that, you know, this was the next step for me. So yeah. And it, it led to an incredible three years and opened so many doors. And I've learned, I mean, I, I arrived in Sydney knowing nothing. I, I knew absolutely nothing about anything really. I was mm. young and I'd never worked in TV before. And my first day on set, none of the clothes fit me because they were all sample sizes. So for, <laughs> you know, like a 25 year old, you know, just moved to a new city in a new gig. That was a scary day for me going, oh, dear, none of the clothes fit me. I'm not cut out for this. But, um, yeah. Lots of bulldog clips behind behind exactly, you. Exactly, yeah, and zips that weren't done up and <laughs> just <laughs> an absolute mess behind. But, hey, we made it work. And Hey, that's television, right? It's all pretty up front. Yeah, and my an EP, absolute mess behind. My EP at the time, Maria Michael, told me straight up that, look, we haven't hired you to – be a clothes horse we've hired you to to really show your own and, and host a show so that's what's important don't worry too much about it that was great advice 
Three years of a daily battle with Scott Tweedy. <laughs> oh, isn't it? Life is so hard for some. I mean, that guy is ugly to look at. He's a horrible human being. He's oh, he's all hands. Talented. Oh, my gosh. Steve, he is, I mean this, <laughs> the most beautiful human being I've ever met, inside and outside. You can't fault him. He just taught me a lot about resilience and grace in the TV industry. Mm-hmm. He just... He just, it's water off a duck's back for him. You know, he just yep. gets on with things. And I, I tend to get very riled up and very angry about yeah. stuff. And he just goes, London, no big deal. Their problem, not yours. Get over it. He just kind of does this shoulder shrug and smiles. And you just think, oh, if only life was so easy, Tweeds. But yeah, he's a beautiful human. I love him. What can't you tolerate? I can't tolerate um, anyone that's just fakeness, people that are, Talk just talking shit at me. I think I have a pretty good bullshit meter, and I I really mm-hmm. pride myself in being pretty straight up in everything I do. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm pretty honest with people, and I just don't like when you know you know you're being played when someone's you know speaking from a place of that isn't authentic, and you just go, "Oh mate, cut the bullshit!" Like, come on, I can't tolerate that. I can't tolerate girls that. Um, tear other girls down I think mm-hmm. there's this weird belief in this I mean it's the Australian media industry is so small but there's this belief that you know if one girl gets a job well it's one less job for another girl but that's just it's just not true it shouldn't be true at least so I um I love championing other girls in this industry and, and holding holding them up and celebrating their wins as if it was my own so that's um, something I'm trying to do even you know even when it is sometimes someone gets a job and you think oh I would have loved to do that but that's got nothing to do with me that doesn't mean that you know I'm going to, my career's over. It just means that someone found a great gig and it should be celebrated. Absolutely. So where does that place you now then in your career, given that you said that, you know, you've, you've finished up on, on your nighttime radio show. What, what is the next step for you? The exciting thing is, Eve, that I don't really know. And that's exactly kind of how I wanted it. I, um, wow, awesome. I, I took a, a big leap. I, it was the end of the year and we were looking at renewing my contract for another two years and, mm-hmm. Something within my gut was just saying, Ash, you weren't cut out to to um, be in a radio studio every night till 10 p.m. And, you know, this is a huge job and it's an honour and heaps of people, rightly so, would die for this job and you should be looking forward to doing it. When that microphone comes on every night at 7 p.m., you should be stoked. And I wasn't. And I'm not going to do anything that doesn't challenge me and excite me and make me nervous. And, yep. you know, that's just not what I'm cut out for. And Angus, my co-host, for the year is an incredible operator. He lives and breathes radio. He's so smart. He knows it back to front. He's so hardworking. And I knew that he deserved someone that was up there alongside him working as hard as he was. And I knew that that wasn't me. So this small voice inside me was saying, Ash, you know, it's time to move on. And no, there's no obvious next step, but you got this. So I I resigned and I traveled for a couple of months. And it was amazing for me to get out of the Sydney bubble and the media bubble Mm. and really just get some perspective that it's actually just not about me. The world isn't about me and my career and what I can do. That's just, it's not important. And it's also not who I am. I need to be able to stand without my career, without my possessions, without my famous, you know, people that I've interviewed, whatever that is, and actually be Mm -hmm. happy with the person I am when all that's stripped away. And, and um, that's really, you know, the challenge. I think it's a challenge for all of us if we have the guts to actually admit how much our, our work um, you know, it defines us. So for me now I'm back and I wrote out a list of kind of what I, I the experiences, the adventures that I want to have. And it's a lot of it is based around travel. I really want to see the world and, 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 
and um, keep traveling and sharing my experiences as 10 and telling my stories before I'm married and have kids and can't just go to LA on a whim, which I can do now, which is a beautiful thing. So there's offers on the table and I'm in talks with people. It's really just about taking the time and not rushing anything and really making sure that the choices I make are authentic and uh, uh, stories and projects that I can 100% get behind and are true to me because it's been music media for, for five years for me. So I really want to kind of, I will always do music, but I want to step out into other areas. I want to explore, you know, creativity and spirituality and culture and travel and all these other stories that are so important to me that can kind of show a different side of me because I think um, I'm more than just someone who can interview an artist. I think there's there's a lot more interesting facets to me that I'd like to kind of explore this year, and that excites me. Sure. It's a remarkably different position that you're in, isn't it, compared to six, seven years ago? Oh, yeah. Um, writing scripts for Osher to now totally. the world is your oyster. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. It's it's an amazing feeling now to be a bit older and know that I've got the work experience behind me and just the knowledge and the belief that I know what I'm doing and I know that I'm good at what I do. And that's not because I'm pumping up my own tires. It's not because I've got this inflated sense of mm-hmm. my ego. It's just the fact that I know that I'm good at it. I know that this is what I'm been put on earth to do, but I know that it's actually just not about me, that I have a belief that I haven't been put on earth just to get famous or get lots of Instagram followers or Twitter followers. But I think I'm here to really tell important stories and bring stories out of other people. And now that I've got some experience under my belt, I'm in a position where I can say no to some things and chase some things and put myself out there and have the guts to say, to put my hand up and say, I want to do this. And, you know, this is a story that I want to tell and know that, you know, I'll probably get a couple of no's, but eventually the right yes will come. And there's just Mm -hmm. a real quiet confidence, I think, that comes. And I get such a cliche thing to say it comes when you turn 30. And a lot of people told me that as a woman, you turn 30 and everything changes, that you back yourself more and you kind of, um, you know what you want. And I thought that was just BS. I thought thought that's what people were telling me to make me feel better about the fact that I was going to be 30 (laughs) and single. But now that I'm here, I'm like, bring it on. Like, I've worked hard to get where I am and I moved to Sydney five years ago and and literally like halved my wage to live in a city that was twice as expensive and I was poor for a whole year. You know, most of my my wage went to my $400 a week place in Bondi that I lived in, you know. You know, when you kind of trudge through all that and really – work in, in TV where none of the outfits fit you because they're made for models and you're told, you know, and you're told all this, but you still make a go of it. You kind of realize that it's, it's really not rocket science and it's, you know, it's, it's a job like any other job. And when you, you get experience, you deserve, you know, you deserve good things and you deserve good jobs. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to back myself to get them. Your, your positive outlook coupled with your steely determination Ash is really encouraging. I thought, I hope so. I mean, I mean, most of my most of the kids that I've you know spoken to and and communicated to over the past couple of years are teenagers, and I think that's what teenagers need to hear. It's not this you can do anything you want, reach for the stars. It's work hard and and educate yourself and don't take shit for granted. And um, then you can achieve stuff, but you just you got to be realistic about it, you know. So I think. I try to be as, as open mm. and honest and as driven as I can in, in a way that encourages people to not expect anything to fall into their laps, but also to expect that wonderful things can happen if, you, if you've got a great attitude and you're willing to work hard. 
Stay in school, kids. Seriously, stay in school. That was the rule at my house. Mum said, you know, look, do whatever you want to do, chase your dream, be on TV, be a music writer, whatever you want to do, but you get a degree. And then the day I I handed in my last assignment, I boarded a plane to London and left. I didn't even attend my graduation. (laughs) She she wept. She cried real tears. And she was like, when's your ceremony? I said, well, mum, it costs 75 bucks for the bloody thing. (laughs) I'm not going to go. 75 bucks is, you know. That's a that's a it's a West End show. I'm going to London, mate. Mm. So uh, yeah, she was less than stoked about that. But um, yeah, literally the day I, I I had it in my last assignment, I left for London, and it was the best thing I ever did. Your mum must have been super stoked to see you on TV that first time. Oh, mate, no one was happier than Linny G, and she continues <clears throat> to be the happiest person no matter what I do. She is an incredible, incredible woman. She um, there's no one I love more than her, and she is an inspiration, you know, kicks my ass into gear when I need it. But she really is the one that made me believe that I could actually do anything. There was no such thing as I can't do that. She'd just be like, well, why not? So the fact that it's all kind of, you know, coming up ash makes her very happy. And every time I, the tiniest things, like a 10 second spot on the project or like in the background of a shot, like it's just, (laughs) she'll record it, she'll gram it. Like she's just the best. And, um, She's so proud and, you know, I act act like it embarrasses me and I I roll my eyes at her, but it's a great feeling to make mum proud because, you know, it could have gone either way with me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. How do you describe your experience of family? Well, uh, I come from a very big Lebanese family, so cousins on both sides and we're all, any one of the 30 of them I could rock up at their house, you know, anywhere in the world and say, can I stay for a month? And they would say, yes. So there was always security and family for me. Mm-hmm. So I've got an older brother who's 10 years older than I am, who was really like a dad growing up. We lost dad when I was 16 years old. So my brother Ooh. would have been 20, 26, 27. Mm-hmm. And he has been more of a father than, you know, probably my real dad for, you know, the better part of my life. So we are incredibly close and I was incredibly close, you know, with dad and, Growing up, family was everything to us. You know, my grandmother lived with us for a while, cousins down the road. We lived in each other's pockets and there was such security in that. And my family is is very close. My brother and I have lived in the same country probably only for about eight years of my life because he moved, he moved overseas when – well, I moved overseas to the Philippines when I was 10 years old and he didn't come with us. He you know, was in uni already and then when I moved – to, to London, you know, he left London. And then when I moved to Australia, he, you know, moved to Singapore. So we've kind of missed each other. Yeah. But my brother and I still talk every day. And I think we have talked every day for as long as I've been alive. So we've managed to kind of keep that up. And my brother's got four kids now. So I visit him in Singapore probably three or four times a year, which is so important to me to see him. And mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing that even though we're kind of scattered all over the world, we're all super close. That's the beauty of Skype. I think my two-year-old niece thinks I actually live in a computer screen. <laughs> Super cute. But um, family is everything. And, and my brother, you know, is kind of the – I'm the creative one and he's kind of the smart one, but I hate to admit that he's actually a better writer than I am. He's really creative. <laughs> Kills me. I'm like, shut up. Go get your million-dollar bonuses and leave me alone to be the poor struggling artist. <laughs> can't come in here and actually have the best of both worlds. And, um, yeah, mum's in Melbourne and I'm in Sydney and I actually live with her sister, my auntie May and Uncle Billy, about a year and a half ago. I was living in a one-bedroom apartment by myself and my landlord kicked me out because he was moving home and I had nowhere to live and 
Auntie May said, come live with us. And I was like, mate, I'm 28. I can't move in with family. And of course, being the disorganized person I am, I organized nothing and was homeless. So I moved in with her for what I promised was a couple of weeks. And that was like a year and a half ago. And I'm still here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love coming home to family and having someone to chat to when I live with my eccentric uncle, Uncle Billy, who is actually the weirdest and most wonderful human you'll ever meet. We found the iPad in the dishwasher and we were like, why is the iPad in the dishwasher? And it turns out that he thought it was a chopping board. So oh. chopped his nectarine on it and, and was very proud of himself for putting the iPad in the dishwasher because, you know, he's, he, he washed it up. So thankfully uh, we noticed before we put the spin on, but that's Uncle Billy for you. How did the iPad go? It was fine. We, we, we hadn't put it on right and he had, it had the cover on it still. He had like the kind of the – I cut it in cover. the cover. Yeah, so he, he, he had the cover on it. So he just used that and thank God it was fine, but it made for a great story. But no one was surprised. Like, well, of course Uncle Billy did that. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't know what an iPad is. He's amazing. I love him. I want I want to make I want to make him a YouTube celebrity. I really should do that. I think he could be famous. He could make us all rich. I think he would blow some minds with that, making Uncle Billy a YouTube star. He would love it. He would absolutely love it because he's completely unfazed by fame. Like he could <laughs> walk up to Taylor Swift and just know exactly who she is, but just mm. not give a shit. He just doesn't care. He's the best. This guy wears like you know, T-shirts with holes. He lives in a beautiful mansion and a swimming pool and, like, his wife wears designer clothing and has designer handbags and he looks homeless. Like, he wears, <laughs> like, T-shirts, like, from, like, for, that he got for free at local fairs that he's had for 20 years and, and these disgusting old loafers. Like, the guy is hilarious. I once saw him in Woolworths stockpiling baked beans into his stroller. I was like, Billy, what are you doing? And he just looked at me and he was like, they're on sale. And he had, like... <laughs> 30 cans of baked beans. I was like, dude, you can afford the full price baked beans. What are you doing? That, that's Uncle Billy and I wouldn't want him any other way. It sounds like Uncle Billy needs to pop up on the Habibs. Yeah, oh, God, he'd show them a couple of things. He's so funny. <laughs> he would show them how it's done. He goes to the local Lebanese restaurant down the road and he gets buys tabbouleh and then he comes and he doctors it and puts these extra things and then he announces that he's made tabbouleh. We're like, mate, you have not made anything. Every <laughs> week you go to the local Lebanese place and you buy the tabbouleh and then you add a bit of cucumber. Like, don't – we're on to you, mate. No, you made tabbouleh. No, you haven't. <laughs> oh, Uncle Billy's tabbouleh recipe is buy tabbouleh, serve. Exactly. Claim – all responsibility for making of said tabbouleh. <laughs> Based on that, Uncle Billy's made a car. He's made a, a house. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. What for you is a source of strength, Ash? I'm definitely family for me. Uh, the fact that, you know, I, I talk to my mom, I talk to my brother, I have great family around me that bring a real sense of normality to my life. It's not, we have family lunch every Sunday and I know that even if I'm having the worst week of a week from hell, Sunday lunch is going to happen and my family will be around me and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if I'm unemployed or whatever it is, I'm still <laughs> ash. Um, of, God for me is a big one. I grew up in a, in a Christian household and that's something that, you know, as I kind of probably when I moved to London became something that came really real for me because it was my mm-hmm. own personal walk with God and that really does keep me grounded and I think that's where that whole idea of, the fact that this isn't actually about me comes from, which is, which, 
when I'm feeling a bit lost or I don't know what the next step is or I, I worry about the next job or whatever it is, I kind of have that belief that I know that, you know, that God has put me here for reasons that actually have nothing to do with me. And that's really comforting and it's really humbling mm. because it, it kind of takes away the whole idea of I got here because I'm so talented and I'm so amazing and it kind of, it shifts it to something that's a bit more outward focused and that's really comforting for me. And I know that, you know, even when things go to shit, I, I honestly believe that God is still there and regardless of what I am doing or I'm not doing or achieving or not achieving, you know, I'm created by God and I'm going to be okay. You know what I mean? That, he, that yes. I still have, you know, someone to, to turn to when I'm a bit lost and my experience has been that, that's worked for me and that's been a, a beautiful part of my life and I understand that that's not for everyone and, and that's totally okay but my experience is that it's really helped me and it's a great thing and it's one thing I really thank my mum for instilling in me but also thank her for giving me the space to work it out on my own. You know, we were never forced to go to church. I was never forced yep. to do anything because what's that going to give me apart from, a, you know, a kind of a fake surface relationship with whatever God is out there. But she gave me the space to, to find God for myself. And it probably looks pretty different to some Christians and maybe looks a bit different to her relationship with God. But for me, it, it's real and it, and it works and it's a huge part of my life. The media are notoriously, how do I put this delicately, notoriously unwelcoming yes. <laughs> of, of people of faith. Yeah particularly Christian faith. Yeah. Has that caused you any problems? I think, to be honest, not really. I mean, I think people know me. They know that I'm never going to ram a Bible down anyone's throat. They know me as, and I hope that they know me as a good friend and someone that goes out of their way to make time for people. And, you mm -hmm. know, it's it doesn't define me. It's not something that I force upon anyone. So I think that for the most part, I've had a pretty easy run for that reason. You know, it also helps that I'm not, you know, on Twitter telling gay people that they go and go to hell. Like I believe that, you know, I believe that same-sex marriage, of course, it should be legalised in Australia. So I have some pretty kind of liberal views that help along with that. But also I've, I've had great experiences, you know, I um, and I'm really respectful to people of all faiths and all religions or lack mm -hmm. of, you know, and I think that's how it needs to be. I think for too long Christians in the media feel like, it's my responsibility to be a spokesperson for the church. Well, I, I feel mm. no such responsibility. My responsibility is a spokesperson, you know, for God, but that's whether I'm on TV or radio or work at Macca's, that's just part yeah. of a human being who chooses to have a relationship with God. So I think it's helped that I kind of have that view. Um, yeah. And, and that's something I'm proud of, but it's not something that I kind of, you know, shout from the rooftops and make sure everyone knows. A lot of people find out that about me after a couple of months of knowing me and they think, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Sometimes it comes up the first conversation I have with someone, but it's certainly not something that I, you know, feel the need to shout at everybody about. But it's definitely not something that I'm ashamed of because I believe it's it's such a big part of, you know, how I kind of came to be who I am. Christianity gets to become the media's whipping boy far too often because of uh, the Christians that stand up and make some less than graceful statements yeah. sometimes. Yeah, and it frustrates the hell out of me. I imagine that the God sits in heaven just going, oh, shut up. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, no, just don't speak on my behalf anymore. Just shut up. Just please. We talked about this. Yeah, I mean, come on. And, it, you know, it's, it's hurtful to me when I read that because that's, 
that's someone that's really making making a mockery or giving someone that something that I hold so true to my heart a really bad name so I just I take it relationally you know I I work against that in my my everyday relationships I'm not gonna yep. kind of go on Twitter or Instagram or whatever and such but I'm just gonna everyone I meet that's my little that's my outreach that's the person that I'm gonna show that you know some Christians can be really great and we can be really accepting and non-judgmental and I actually just you know I want your life to be the best it can be and I'm not going to force anything upon you. You know, that's kind of how mm. it should be. I'm just going to be the best Christian I can and the best person I can. So that's kind of the way I do it is the people I meet and the conversations I have as opposed to the, you know, yelling at people and damning yeah. them to hell, which just makes me crazy. Standing on the street corner and shouting. No one likes that guy. Like just no, mate. No one likes yeah. that guy. You're not helping. Adding a megaphone doesn't make it better. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It makes it worse. <laughs> So I remember I was on the Gold Coast once and there was a, a dude, I'm, I'm going to say I think it was from like a, a Brethren church because everyone behind him was dressed very 1970s and this was in the 90s. Okay. Uh, and he was standing on a box preaching the word going hard and they were all just sort of standing in a semicircle behind him like, yep, this is totally cool. And the stuff he was saying was totally not cool. Mm. Yeah. No. I just don't know where they get off. Like I don't. Yeah, I'm not here to judge. You know, I'm sure their heart's in a good place, but nah, mate, <laughs> chill out. And Some people's got Twitter. Bibles. People don't even need to get on a street corner. They've yeah, got a much right. bigger audience from you know the anonymity of their study, which is which is even scarier. Mm. I think some people's Bibles stop at Leviticus. It's true, the, or, or it's just Leviticus. It's that one. Yes. For those listening that don't know what that is, it's just all the Old Testament rules and crazy ass regulations that scare even me. Mm, it, yeah, there's some wacky stuff in there. And the stuff that, to be fair, critics of Christianity bring up all the time when Christians go hard in the media and say, oh, but this is how. So, well, remember, but so who are we stoning next? Yeah, sometimes they deserve it. I think they deserve to have the Bible thrown back at them if they're going to be <laughs> assholes about it. What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Oh, travel, lots of travel. That's a mm-hmm. big thing for me. I just did um, a couple of months in Asia and – I think there's there's a new there's a new way there's a new there's got to be a new way for us to do travel journalism and, and travel media. I don't know what it mm. is yet. I think it has something to do with the interactivity of social media. But if anyone's going to discover what it is, it's going to be me. So I'm good work heading back to uh, the Philippine Islands uh, soon to do a five day four night sailing trip by a company that it's all about ecotourism, environment, business. So these mm-hmm. tiny little islands. In the northern Philippines, they employ hundreds and hundreds of locals to kind of um, set up base camps and cook and to sew. And they, this trip, the foreigners that come, the money goes towards building schools for the locals. So it's a really cool business model of how you can have incredible uh, travel adventures, but really actually feed back into communities. So I'm going to do that and, and speak to some of the locals and find out some of their stories, which is I'm really looking forward to. And then, um, yeah, there's some other projects that I'm signing off on some more kind of music media stuff because I, I do love interviews I love having mm. 10 minutes to sit down with some of the biggest artists in the world and you've got 10 minutes to win them over and and get some gold out of them so I'll be I'll be still doing more of that I just won't be full-time I really don't want to take on a full-time gig this year I want to have the 
flexibility to be able to travel, the flexibility yep. to be able to do take on a multiple uh, take on multiple roles and not have to kind of say no to everything because I'm working, you know, a thousand hours a week. So I want to tell stories this year, a range of different stories, but stories that are close to my heart and, and that matter. I want to see the world. I want to keep meeting new people. Um, that's kind of the goal. It all sounds a bit, you know, airy fairy, but um, I think it really is about the spirit of what I want to do rather than the, you know, the solid, this is exactly how it's going to look, or this is the job, or this is the network. And I think we all know that digital is the future. Mm. And I don't, you know, I shouldn't have to base my career around a TV or a radio exec telling me where I'm going to live and what I'm going to talk about and what my time slot's going to be and who's going to listen to it. I think those days are dying. And mm-hmm. the faster that we can build a new digital model that's global, where the, the talent and the, the creators and the audiences are dictating what that content is, I think that's really the future. So um, it's up to people like us to, to work that out and to create it and to work out what it looks like and build a model that works. So, yeah, that's the focus. The re-education of Ash London. Exactly right. Maybe that's what I should I should start a blog and call it that. Or just how London got her groove back because everyone, all my friends are calling my holiday. They're like, we know that you're doing your old house Stella got her groove back thing and your bloody Philippine <laughs> adventures. <laughs> you're going to have to come home and earn some money eventually. I'm like, you are not wrong there. <laughs> Eat, pray, London. Exactly. <laughs> Eat, pray, London. I love that. And it's very, very true. Ash, thank you so much for our chat today. I really appreciate it. Please know that the things that you said are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you. Thank you so much, mate. It was You created a, a wonderful, safe place for me to be honest, and that is always a beautiful thing. You are a legend. Very clearly you're on the tweet. Yep. Are there other social accounts you want to admit to? No, I'm just on Instagram and Twitter. I don't have Facebook. I um, Yeah, no, just those two, just the, the words and the photos for me. Well, that's excellent. Yeah, Words, photos, <laughs> especially when Instagram now allows you to do 16-second videos, maybe that's your travel show. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe I've come up with an amazing idea already that I think is going to change the world. Stay tuned, people. <laughs> Thanks, matey. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that Ash underscore London is indeed human. Yes. Boom. <laughs> that was so fun. Thanks so much.